0: Hello, welcome to Time to Say Goodbye. It is the 29th, I oh don't know, it's March 1st today, uh, Wednesday, you're hearing this. Tammy and I recorded oh, this a couple was like, <laughs> days earlier.
1: It's like Jay Um <laughs>
0: As per usual, so that peal of laughter that you hear in the background is Tammy, <laughs> she's back. Um, you were not here last week, where were you?
1: Yeah, I missed you. You guys had a great up though. Um, I was in Montana and California.
0: Oh, that's right, yeah. The endless reporting trips. Yeah. Yeah. It's a
1: lot. It's aging. It's aging me, Jay.
0: Yeah, I know. You gotta. You gotta Oof. move to the opinion side of things here, Tammy. <laughs>
1: I don't have takes. Oh, I
0: don't know. I don't think that. I don't really either. You know, but that's not. That's not the. That's not the key skill. The key skill is to write very quickly. You know, <laughs> it's not having a opinions. Problem too. You know, people have oh opinions. You just have to write quickly. You know, I think that's the that's the superpower of the opinion columnist. You know, it's one it's that true. I'm still developing. But uh, people who are like, oh well, you know, he's very able to very or she whoever is very is able to very quickly break down. You know complex idea and give guidance you know in a in like a way that exhibits like no it's just like You're the like, person no. needs to be able to write I quickly
1: just, <laughs> just pumping it out between babies all that's
0: great in conversation <laughs> you know like there are people whose conversations i have like that but opinion columnists i'm just like well you know it's uh some of that is true you want a brain behind it but you for also that just brain gotta, to be timely they yeah. have to write quickly know. you know anyway
1: and like also report like a, the right amount. Like I've yeah. have an reporting disease that I'm trying to fix.
0: Yeah, I know. That's that's called that's called the immigrant mindset.
1: <laughs> is that white supremacy culture? Yeah, that's white supremacy culture. <laughs> <laughs> you're
0: caught up in white supremacy culture. I've been there before, you know. No, oh man, oh, oh, I don't reporting. know if I can get out of it. So, anyway. so. reporting Sorry. is much better than take culture, you know? You need So to you're report- fighting
1: the man by going onto the <laughs> inside you're exactly. like <laughs> fighting white supremacy culture <laughs> but, but you're right
0: there needs to be some baseline of reporting i agree to at least give which the, you do yeah which i do, do. Yeah. yeah put the arm around the, the idea is put the arm around the reader and say listen you know here's yeah. four new things that you didn't know about and here but right they're in the same ballpark as this thing that you do know about you know and here's how these four things are relevant to this thing but I totally agree that the thing that matters the most is being able to do that quickly, you know, <laughs> or else the moment passes and then you're yeah. just it's out a of, of luck, you know.
1: So you're yeah. back at work now? You're just, are you yeah. on parental leave? Okay. Welcome yeah, back. I still
0: have, I'm saving five more weeks here. Oh, okay. um, I'm getting it down on wax so that the Condé Nast HR is aware there's still five more weeks. <laughs> five more weeks yeah i got five more weeks but um i i wanted to split it up for a variety of reasons that are boring but um okay we have our we have two topics today the first is uh something that you have done some reporting about so it is good that you have done this reporting (laughs) but um we did an episode with nick worst who is a train conductor and somebody who works in on the labor side of of uh of the railroad industry right this is somebody who you had talked to i think in some of your work as a reporter right tammy is that right mm-hmm. um and uh since then you know that was right after the derailment had happened and right after that gigantic fire cloud had gone out and it was around the time i think where there were some like attempts to minimize what had happened uh by a lot of people Mm -hmm. right and since then this thing has turned into somewhat of a predictable but i think very wildly interesting political disaster (laughs) um um, how to describe this okay well the first thing is that it did seem like a lot of the minimizing was done by democrats right and um most especially pete Buttigieg, the department of transportation secretary uh who is you know not this podcast favorite person, but like somebody, <laughs> he, he sort of, his thing was like, and I don't think that he's factually incorrect about any of this, but he's just like derailments happen. There's going to be more of them that happen. It was right? too flip. Yeah. Right. Way too flip for like people who are afraid that their kids are going to have cancer or something like this. And yeah. Right. And just like, I don't know, derailments happen. And it's like, okay, dude, like, you know, like when is a moment, when is there going to be a moment where you have to do something in your job as Department of Transportation secretary, right, where you have to, like, respond empathetically to somebody, or you have to, like, take on the gravity of the actual position that you have, Mm -hmm. and not just go on Fox News and, like, own Republicans, which is, like, mostly what he does, right? He does (laughs) viral things where he debates Republicans on Fox News or something like that, and everyone's like, oh, my God, you know, and he is quite good at that, right? But, like, that's sort of, like, all we've seen of him in the last, like, two years since he's had this job. And then finally he's given this big moment. And what does he do? He just is, like, well, derailments happen all the time, right? This opens up this gigantic chasm for the entire right to flood in, right? And we have everyone from J.D. Vance who (laughs) – did you see the J.D. Vance uh, Twitter video that he posted? (laughs) Did you see it?
1: No. Wait, is this the one where he's, like, are you a racist?
0: No, 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 no. This is J.D. Vance going at East Palestine (laughs) – and he's kind of in this creek bed, and he's got these, like, I don't know, wingtip shoes. I don't know how to describe oh, no. shoes. But, like, he has these very, like, kind of, like, tan camel color like, shoes on. And he's got this big, long stick, and he's poking it in the muck, oh, you know? Gosh. And, like, all this, like, oil stuff, like, stuff that looks like kind of like gasoline in the water comes up. And he's like, what is this? You know? Wow. So he's there, right? <laughs> and I don't think that, like, you know, like, Say what you will about JD Vance, but like he is there. He is a senator from Ohio. He went there and he (laughs) poked a stick around in it. It's a low
1: bar, but yes. Right.
0: (laughs) Right. And then most notably, Donald Trump travels to East Palestine and he puts on like the full Donald Trump show. Wow. The Trump water. (laughs) So you watched all this. So yeah, tell tell us what happened there.
1: (laughs) I read about it. I have less tolerance for videos than you, DJ, but yes, Trump uh, was handing out water that was labeled Trump water. Right. And making a big hurrah. It was, as you say, an absolute Trump Trumpian affair.
0: Right. Couldn't right. have
1: scripted it better. And Giuliani showed up too. I mean, it was the worst people in the world flocking onto East Palestine.
0: Right. And because it's seen as this huge opportunity for the right. Right. right? And that's why everyone is there. And, mm-hmm. you know, the Trump visit was interesting in that, like, he sort of displayed some of the reasons why people like him right? Like I think that he was, he did show up, you know, he did talk to people and be like, this is horrible. You know, like what Mm -hmm. has happened is horrible. And you know, those Democrats, they don't care about people like you. And he went to a McDonald's and he, you know, did you see the video of him going to McDonald's? Okay. So he goes into McDonald's and (laughs) there's this big crowd of people, all the McDonald's workers are kind of gathered around the cash register with like their phones out and, um he's got like you know people behind him in the press and he's you know the ideas he's going to order for the police and fire departments and he like he goes he's like i know the menu much better than you, you know? <laughs> like, oh I know this menu. I know it better than you. you know? And, like, that's, like, the type of thing that he's so good at, because it's, like, legitimately funny, you know? Like he's sort of, like, <laughs> <he's> like, it's <laughs> like, yo, you don't have to tell me about the McDonald's
1: man. Literally is the only time that that's true, also.
0: <laughs> right. And he's, like, he's like handing out hats to oh everybody, God. right? Yeah. And he's, like, being kind of personal and funny. He makes and people like,
1: feel seen. He it's does. It's so does. creepy, but true. I don't know how
0: he does it, but it's like
1: his superpower. He's like, I and it's like people aren't dumb, so they know he's lying and filthy. Right. And yet they're like, he sees me.
0: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he's just he's like a glad hander in that way, right? Yeah. Like I remember I talked to somebody who sort of knew him a little bit way back in the day. It was somebody I used to work with. And he said that Trump's two biggest skills are one is that he can zero in on what a person's weakness is and what they feel bad about, and he'll just like Push them on that all the time, and mm-hmm. so like it makes sense in like the Marco yeah. Rubio small hands thing, where I was like, I bet that really got to Marco Rubio. <laughs> you know, even though we think it's stupid, like Trump has some sixth sense <laughs> to figure out that Marco Rubio yeah. really cares about his small hands. Yeah, you know? he's
1: like a predator, so he h- hones in on that. Yeah,
0: right, right, right. Which is why I thought that he was losing it when his first nickname for Ron DeSantis was Ron DeSanctimonious. and I was like, that's <laughs> terrible, dude. Like. <laughs> who gave you that did, did mckinsey come up with that one like you know like you can do better than that oh and then he God. settled on meatball ron which i think is much better you know which like obviously make is like much better for trump right and trump logic and he's gonna like when they have their <laughs> debates trump is gonna tower over him because he's like seven inches taller than than ron de santis he's him meatball ron and like oh you know, the primary will I, be over at that point
1: <laughs> i do not want to be here for that <laughs>
0: Uh, no, can't I can't believe I do. how quickly that I is do. coming. I it's do. So, I hate Ron. So DeS- I, I, I like oh. if, if it humiliates Ron DeSantis then I'm fine with it, you know, but Trump um, oh. Trump has these moments. Right. And he goes there the day before Pete Buttigieg. Buttigieg and Pete, yeah. yeah. And Pete Buttigieg shows up and he's very defensive because everyone there is kind of like. Right. Where were you? And all the press has basically bought into this narrative that Trump showed up before. And so then Buttigieg is like super. um, Okay, okay, so what do you think about all of this? Right. Like, what what about what do you think about this sort of political theater that unfolded there?
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess the the theater part isn't that surprising. I do legitimately worry that we haven't learned anything somehow (laughs) since Trump's initial election and that this whole thing about how easily the right can capture what it means to be working class and to respond to working class people. Um, Yeah, the Dems still aren't doing it. And um, I know we've talked on the show about the different things that Biden actually has done kind of well in terms of labor policy. And yet we're still kind of not laying claim to that on the Democratic side. So, you know, you have this situation where, it was funny. Hayes Brown wrote a defense of Buttigieg in MSNBC where he reads the, the transportation code to say that Pete Buttigieg really isn't responsible and doesn't have that much power to change things. And it's like, okay, fine, but we still don't get it. Like we still don't get the way that people perceive this. Like it's a train accident. So the transportation secretary has to come out and say something about trains, you know, that like makes people feel understood and, um, Right right yeah. and it's
0: it's like this weird thing that he's done because uh Buttigieg's response and I think this is a very him type of thing is to go on the offensive and say that yeah. Trump actually is the one who it was under the Trump administration that all these things got deregulated that which the Obama is true ranks. right yeah. which is true Yeah um
1: but it's this technocratic response that doesn't get at the emotionality of this stuff right, right. which I think is like what keeps happening again and again especially in the rust belt states
0: right but and it's also like bro if you let's say that what you're saying is true and you can't do shit about any of this right but you can comment on what trump did yeah you know you can comment on what obama did so why don't you comment on what biden should Mm -hmm. do you know like you do have that power you can talk right like Mm -hmm. you do have a like you have some influence in the in the cabinet right you have some influence in your position even if even if you feel like you can't do anything about it like you know, like it doesn't really work when you're just criticizing the one person and something you have nothing to do with and then not criticizing the current thing in which you have nothing to do with. Right. Like it just doesn't really track. But I agree. The bigger problem is that there's no emotionality to it. So like, um, I don't know, like what, like, what would be a better message, do you think? Like, how do you think if you're P- a <laughs> people, <laughs> if you're one of his advisors here, right? Like, how, how do you sort of handle this? Because I agree with you. Mm-hmm. I think this is a disaster for many reasons. Mm-hmm. And I think it is a disaster because it plays so deeply into this idea that, like, it, it hits all levels, right? The first is that, like, at a very basic level, these people don't care about people in yeah. places like East Palestine, Ohio, right? Um, They don't. Uh, that's the first narrative that is out there and it plays very deeply into that. The second is like the media doesn't care about right. this either because Man. the media is in bed with the Democrats with the and so they're just going to let us like die out here, mm-hmm. right? And the third is that corporate America is also in bed with these other two things and that they're going to protect the railway lobbyists be- and that they're going to protect everything they can and actually the entire system is corrupt Yeah. now that doesn't, I watched this video of like this guy interviewing four young Trump supporters in East Palestine. And like, mm-hmm. it was like, I mean, it was what you would expect. They're just like, no, we don't think Donald Trump is like necessarily better. Right? We don't actually believe that he's going to do the things he says he's going to do. Yeah. But at least it's chaos, you know, because like, all this stuff is corrupt. And at least he's saying that is corrupt. Right? And so then the that's the fourth part of it was just like, all right, well, like, Fuck all of this, you know. I'm. Why don't I just vote for like Donald Trump be- yeah. for whatever reason? Because maybe it'll all de- all get destroyed right at yeah. that point. Um, I don't know. Like that 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 seems to be the narrative of all of this, and I just didn't think it was necessary for it to turn into that. So, like, I don't know. How do you think people could have headed this off in any way?
1: I mean, I think you see people like Bernie Sanders and some other people who are a little bit more skilled. I think at getting to people's desires and fears talking about corporate greed, which is like a kind of like easy and obvious thing that's happening here. And I, it's interesting because Mike DeWine, the terrible Ohio governor is more willing to talk about Norfolk Southern's greed because he doesn't want to be responsible for his own regulatory lapses than, you know, people who we would expect to be more attentive to that. So the fact that the corporate part of The transportation industry has fallen out so quickly from the kind of top line of the coverage and of the political discourse, I think, is pretty tragic. I mean, Trump. It's kind of I mean, Trump is, I think, also focusing less on the corporate stuff and more on villainizing Democrats because that's easy and Biden is in power right now. But that then, again, I think opens up this opportunity for people like Buttigieg and Biden and other people in the administration to raise that you know, and the National Transportation Service, National Transportation Safety Board hearings were happening like at the same time, maybe like a day before or after Buttigieg was going, that was investigating what happened, you know, on the rails specifically. And it, I think like what Nick actually told us seems to mostly have been true, like have turned out in the preliminary investigation. Um, But that, that again, like this is an opportunity where like they are investigating basically what happened with Norfolk Southern, you know, and yeah. And so why not just raise that and just continue hammering on that and the way that the economy works? Like, I think there's no one more than Ohioans who would get that and respond to that, given what's happened to their economy.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. I I don't, I don't quite understand why they felt like they had to be so defensive about it, right? Um, And why they had to make go with this whole, like, well, the science says this thing isn't a big deal, right? Yeah. And then obviously, the way to all it takes is someone poking a stick in a creek bed and having something come up for people watching it to be like, I don't know. Well, who knows about what this stuff is? Uh Which is coupled with the entire like history of industrial pollution air pollution all this sort (laughs) of stuff right like being like oh yeah it's fine you know right and And suddenly like a bunch of kids have like like can't read right and then they're like oh yeah it's because this is actually a super fun site sorry you know (laughs) like Mm -hmm. who trusts any of that stuff right like it doesn't matter what side of the the like that is actually something that is politically universal that you don't trust when a corporation tells you that everything is fine after they blow some shit Shit out. Exactly. <laughs> like you have to be the dumbest person in the world to believe that, you know, or you have to be the most credulous person. The only people who believe that, I bet, are like upper middle class, like technocratic people. I was going to say people cities, who've never right?
1: seen the government fail actually for them. Yeah, you know? yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, that's yeah, like yeah. two people. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: It's like it's like ninety percent of the media, though, you know. But like, still, it's oh, like no. you know, like I do think it's like. It, it you're just like, well, I don't – how is this the position, right? Mm-hmm. And then you start to question. Everyone starts to question. Oh, well, it's because of the lobbyists, right? Or it's because right. of, like, the – the, yeah. Right, because of the, the sort of contributions that they're giving, right? I don't know if any of that is true.
1: I know. But
0: the narrative makes more – that narrative makes much more sense than actually believing that all of this is going to be fine, you yeah. know, that, like, there's nothing to see here. So – I don't know. I don't think they're actually going to do this. And so I think it'll be okay. But the thought that I had that coming out of it was that I actually think that the GOP for a very long time, for right now is like in a lot of trouble. Like, I think that this red wave that didn't happen has kind of freaked everything out, Mm -hmm. everyone out. And I think that DeSantis being like sort of the, Air apparent to Trump is actually a problem because all he does is stupid cultural war stuff that nobody actually really cares about. You know, like yeah. it's like, oh, they, he's very good at freaking out the media, but it's like, does anyone really care about AP course curriculum? Like, who who gives a shit about that? I have two kids, I don't care about that. You know? <laughs> and then when he says stuff like, "I'm going to cancel all AP classes," and people are like, "Ah, oh, no, you're not," <laughs> you know, it's like, who, like who is that for? You know, like. Nobody wants to cancel all the AP classes, you know, and like good luck, you know, like uh, good luck in like the suburbs of Philadelphia or wherever you need to win by doing that. You know, like, what are you talking mm-hmm. about? Like you're like nothing you talk you're talking about is real. But this could give them a sort of in the same way that inflation, I think, could have gone their way. Right. Like right. it gives them much more of like a kind of supper table. This is our communities. We're under attack type of narrative. And that, like, whatever, everything from, you know, in the end, it'll always just be like, well, the globalists are trying to do X, right. Y, and Z, right? But they can they can sort of say it in, like, this is the America that everybody forgot. Like, this is what's been left behind. And sort of this almost like Sam Canonis type of way, right? Like, it's, it's similar. <laughs> well, it's similar to the – I only mean that in that it is a similar narrative to the one around the right. opioid epidemic, yeah. right? Like, none of these people, they only care about wokeness in the media they care yeah, more about whether or not die. like yeah. yeah did Beyonce win a Grammy who gives a shit these people are dying right like that type of narrative is very powerful sometimes yeah. I feel that way
1: <laughs> <You know>? for <laughs> like, sure right
0: actually that's um and that like <laughs> but do you think the,
1: somebody like DeSantis is using that as an entree but eventually they're going to come around to some of this stuff or no I just- don't
0: think so because I really? think that, yeah because I think he's one of us you know He he went to Yale.
1: He and I overlapped in college. Apparently, yeah. Of
0: course, you did.
1: I learned that later. I was like, wait, he looks like he's twenty years older than me, or or maybe I look old and I don't know it.
0: No, no, he's one of us. Him and Holly, all these people, like you know, like they don't have an actual base to say any of this stuff. But Holly's
1: the one who I thought was kind of trying to prototype this whole thing about Republicans are for workers.
0: Yeah, but I don't know. I just don't think he did a very good job about it it. But like DeSantis is just like I don't know. Like, you know, like, people are saying, oh, but he comes from, like, his parents are more working class or whatever. And he went know? to the
1: military. And yeah. All this, and i
0: yeah. just like, no, I don't know. That's actually, like, a lot of people. who went. He's, he's just one of us. You know, he's, like, a middle class person who went to an Ivy League institution and now is not middle class, right? Like, or whatever. Um, I don't think that he'll do it. But J.D. Vance did it. You know, like, J.D. Vance could do it, right? Because yeah. J.D. Vance has built his own, his Hopefully whole persona allergy. around this sort of mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. So, I don't know. I just found it all... Um, somewhat dispiriting, in terms of like why can't we just do the easy ones?
1: I know <laughs>
0: right right, and then you just answer the answer is very obvious, which is you know that there is a lot it's the same thing with like Cuomo and the nursing homes, right, where it's just like, oh well, why can't you just do this thing and then the answer is just like, oh, actually, he the charges of corruption and the way the influence that the lobbies do have on this guy are actually pretty real. Right. Mm -hmm. um, Now, does that mean that that isn't true of the Trump administration? Or of course it doesn't mean that, you know, but it just means that like your hands are tied in a way that uh, is always going to be dissatisfying. And since the other side doesn't really care if they're also conflicted, they'll, they'll just say it anyway, you know, Yeah, puts you at somewhat of a disadvantage there.
1: It's interesting right now too, because, um, I don't know if folks are following, but Marty, while who's the labor secretary, is going over to the Hockey Players Association. And so they're trying to recruit a new labor secretary. And the person who really should get it is Julie Su, who was the California labor head. And she mm-hmm. she um, became is famous because she was, I don't know if she's Korean oh. or Chinese. I should know, but I don't. But anyway, mm-hmm. but she made her you don't career. Have a early. You can Google it. You can
0: uh, yeah, you yeah. to share you on my <laughs> Korean or not spreadsheet. <laughs>
1: She's amazing, though. Like a bunch of years ago, she she came up by um, representing um, workers who were enslaved in the uh-huh. garment industry. Anyway, but there's all this talk about how she's not going to get it because she's too radical. And, really? What know, about and her? So, is so we'll too see radical. what happens. I know. Well, I don't know. I mean, too pro worker, too willing to actually use the mechanisms of government for workers. And, you know, I think it's it's very telling that, yeah, Biden can't. I guess like really lean into this whole thing about he's the, he's the most pro labor president in history or whatever. Like Mm -hmm. everyone said that some of the stuff he's done actually proves that, but he can't actually like do it. You know, he doesn't actually want to go all the way with it. And I think I've just been thinking about that a lot with this whole East Palestine thing of like, actually just do it, you know? And, but, but yeah, I just think we don't have politicians right now who are willing to risk that relationship with Buffett or to you know, say anything that could even delegitimate like Obama's legacy a type Right, right,
0: right, or cast like they don't want to make the like in their minds, right? they don't want to make the they're like, oh no, remember when we all said defund the police and everyone lost everything every- for the rest of mankind because of it. We can't do anything like that. right So let's just say derailments happen all the time. You know, and it's a let's weird let,
1: calculus
0: yeah, let's just dunk on j. D. Vance on Twitter, and then it'll be fine. <laughs> 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 Meanwhile, Brady Vance, so you know, the, you got to see this video. It's very funny. It's the literally the, him.
1: It's literally a stick in the mud. He's wow. wearing
0: high waters, which I, you know, or whatever. Like it, they, it looks like yeah. it looks like capri pants that he's that's wearing. Incredible. Right. He, or either that. Or oh, that's like, what you mean. Oh, wow. Yeah, he's like okay. tucked his pa- his uh, the bottoms of his pants into his socks or something like that. Right. And he's like standing <laughs> in this creek bed. He looks so unnatural. Oh and he's got this gigantic stick. Oh my he's god! Like, and he's basically just copying what nine that like you know the entire town of East Palestine has yeah, done, which is like a lot of them have have you know I think in good faith and for a right. good reason tried to document some of what's been happening, and a lot of it is in this creek bed or in these streams, mm-hmm. right? And there does seem to be some sort of residue in there now. Oh my gosh. You know, I will say that like I when I was a child and I was like rummaging around in the streams and creeks of North Carolina. I would also like poke sticks in the mud, and a lot of times some stuff would come up. You know, I'm sure. <laughs> so I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't know it. if it's because of this explosion or not. You know, <laughs> yeah. There's this. I uh, know
1: that area is so polluted already. Oh my but god! Still, there's this.
0: there's this river that my friend and I used to go swimming in. Right, my friends and I would Ooh. go swimming in um, in North Carolina, um, and uh, it was uh, like there was this rope swing that we would use. Oh yeah, this river. Oh, was gosh. the one that was like all the hog hog farm runoff one that got super famous with Fisteria. Oh my God. And like, there's, I remember there was this like experiment that this woman at, I think it was like scientists at NC State did it, where she had like a tank of Fisteria and she put her hand in it for a day or two and her hand got all withered.
1: <laughs> oh my God. Like Wait, what is Fisteria? <laughs>
0: fisteria, I don't know. It's some sort of thing that you're not supposed to swim in. Anyway. Oh That river was so polluted, I swam in it a lot, you know, and there'd be like these like weird, like. Islands of weird, of like, uh of some sort of residue. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> anyway, anyway, that's my thought when I saw the JD Vance video. I was like, bro, that's not even that much stuff that's coming up out
1: of the creek. <laughs> You're like, you <laughs> haven't uh, swum in this. Yeah. <laughs> no, no,
0: Where do you think you are? Like, you how many are. hog farm, farms are upstream from this creek, right? Like, and how much pig shit is is running off of it? It's
1: <laughs> <That's decade>. disgusting. <laughs>
0: Oh man, but I'm fine now. It's fine. You know, maybe (laughs) I just have several minutes. disorders.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, All
0: right. Anything else about this? I don't know. I, I, this is the most, in my mind, this is the most important story in the country right now. And uh, I just find it strange that I do find it somewhat strange that like there hasn't been an organized response yet around it. Um, Maybe don't send Pete there, you know? I don't know. I guess he had to go. I
1: wonder if Biden will show up there soon. I don't know. Seems kind of late now, but we'll see.
0: Yeah, I know. Maybe they should send common law.
1: <laughs> Did Nikki Haley go yet? Because she's on the trail now, too. Oh, <laughs> uh,
0: no, Nikki Haley.
1: She's going to be making a stick video.
0: I oh, know Nikki, Tulsi Gabbard, Gabbard is flying there right now with a jet. Oh, she, she's gonna poke a surfboard down in the creek and just be like, "Listen, this is not <laughs> in Hawaii. <this> not... <laughs> um, yeah, she. Um, I don't know. It's oh, it God. is very powerful image though. I think, mm-hmm. um, and also like I don't like maybe I am being an alarmist here though. I just don't believe that there's no environmental effect for these people to have this happen near them.
1: I think everyone agrees with you. It seems completely unrealistic that this would be fine and that the evacuation of a few hours is appropriate.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like, at the very least, I would say that there's a lot that's still unknown, For sure. And, um, I don't know, I just think reasonable people all think that, right? And it's just weird to, like, have this shoved in your face when you know we haven't like i said we have an entire history of things not being okay in the end right yeah um okay so the second the second thing that we want to talk about is tema Oaken, who is uh for those who don't we we used to talk about this type of thing more when andy was on the podcast because it was sort of in his wheelhouse but we haven't talked about it as much i don't know why i don't want to do you have any theories on why is it maybe it's not as big of a deal to me and you i don't know what is it
1: yeah I don't know. Maybe we do think about it a lot, but maybe we've, I guess I feel sometimes like we talked about it too much and maybe now we've had yeah. a break. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and this... also
0: like when Andy was on the show was when like Robin D'Angelo was like at the, yes, I think the like the
1: proximity to the George Floyd murder was definitely when right. the stuff okay. was in the air too. So I
0: blamed Andy for something <laughs> that was much more about the world. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs>
1: Andy drawing us into identitarian
0: like, politics. Andy Andy in and his oh. and his obsession with knocking down identity politics. You know, but not me and Tammy. We're cool. Um, Tema Oaken. I it, yes, it is Tema Oaken. And you know why I thought this? Because I think she's from North Carolina and I went to school with this mm. kid named Joey Oaken and um, oh, really? I remembered I was Trying to figure out if Joey Oaken was Tema Oaken's son, you know, and I was like, Did, did I grow up with Tema Oaken? But no, it ends up not. I just thought because it was like an uncommon name, right? This I've never met another Oaken in my life. Yeah, that's maybe they're related in some sort of way. But, um, Tema Oaken, for those who don't know, is the author of uh, Characteristics of White Supremacy, and I think that the way and the best way to sort of characterize this is to say that. When people talk about things that they're mad about in terms of wokeness, right, or if schools going overboard, or diversity training saying crazy shit, what they're really (laughs) talking about is this document. It has this amazing (laughs) power. Now, in defense of the people who are mad about this stuff, the reason why this document is so known to all these things is because it is actually quite ubiquitous in these types of spaces right like they do yeah. show it at school board meetings they do they do like people do read it in, in education school it is discussed when people are writing curriculum like anti-racist type it's of it's so curriculum.
1: bizarre because right. it's so thin
0: so thin eight pages
1: and it's not even sentences
0: yeah it's bullet points.
1: <laughs> sorry it's a <laughs> pamphlet
0: yeah, yeah. Oh, anyway. I don't know. It's a good, it's a good lesson.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm like, wow, this thing got around. <laughs>
0: I know, I know. Maybe bullet points are the future. You know, what this are we wasting like, all um, of our time for? Semaphore
1: like, is this like the whole point of Semaphore? <laughs> the new publication is like yeah. just why the are we bullet writing
0: points. paragraphs? Right? <laughs> like, uh, Ogre just dropped it into half sentence <laughs> Stuff about what what white supremacy yeah what's who's not. the idiot on this call yeah so <laughs> um she had a bit of like a reckoning where I think her ideas were under intense scrutiny for the past year by people like Andy Liu you know noted <laughs> anti-Paul Gay uh and that um you know, it's interesting because sometimes I think about these things and I think like, well, it is strange that everybody is fixated on this one thing. How big could it really be? And does it mm-hmm. really matter? You yeah. Know? Um, and uh, are people doing this in bad faith? Right? Are they sort of blowing this up in a way that makes it seem worse than it is? And the quick answer to that question is, yes, of course they are. Right. Many people are. But the second part of that is like, well, it would probably be better if you know they didn't have so many instances where they could point to where this thing was um, of great influence. Now, yeah. the arguments that are made in this are things that, if taken out of context, do seem very bad, right? Like uh, punctuality, perfectionism; these are all white supremacist ideas, right? And the extract and the i the conclusion that one comes to, somewhat understandably, is that like <laughs> you know, <laughs> wait. Like, what are you talking about? Right. Like,
1: uh, people are using it to get out of like doing normal things. Right. Right.
0: Or like that on the right, they say, okay, this is super racist to say that, um, you know, black people just can't be punctual. But if you care about punctuality, it's a white supremacist. Like that's like, nobody actually thinks that. And the ubiquity of this document is the problem. Um, and it's not like it was just planted there and it just sort of propagated like poppies in a field or something like that, right? Like people actually, like they want to discuss this thing and that's why they bring it up and they agree with parts of it, which is why it's in, you know, all sorts of education materials, et cetera. So, uh, Tama went on, uh, the, uh, intercepts deconstructed podcast with Ryan Grimm and she had a sort of clarification of everything that she meant. So let's go through a little bit of it. So- People can think about how, from your perspective, it ought to be used and ought ought not to be used. And I think the first characteristic that you start with, correct me if I'm wrong, is perfectionism. How, how have you seen perfectionism be kind of misused and weaponized? Uh, and kind of you know you'll see that you'll see the right wing kind of lampoon some of these, and say you know de- deadlines, perfectionism, emergency are all white supremacy characteristics. What so what? What what do you mean, and what what should people kind of take from this? And we could we could just start with perfectionism, which you, you say perfectionism, one right way, paternalism, objectivity.
1: Yeah, well, they all kind
0: of uh, link together. So I don't think anybody uses one characteristic. The, the way it's misused is that it, it, people turn it into a checklist to assess or target someone and say, "Look, you're exhibiting these characteristics, and that means you're you're." colluding with white supremacy culture and you're, you're a bad person, you're a terrible person. Um, and, or to accuse them of being a tool of white supremacy culture or, um, or they'll misuse. and, And generally what I find is that when people misuse it in that way, they haven't actually read it or they certainly haven't read the website because there's no way you could read the website and come away feeling like it's meant to be used as a checklist in that way. So when I'm talking about perfectionism, I'm talking about, I'm not talking about excellence, I'm not talking about hard work. Did you find Mm -hmm. her clarification? And her basic point was just like, listen, it was just like some bullet points I put up. And uh, it's been used in all the wrong sorts of ways. And this is what I really meant. Did you find any of this convincing, Tammy? Um,
1: I wish I had been more convinced. So apparently, I guess like a tiny bit of history is that she, so she wrote this a long while ago. But then I guess after George Floyd, she saw it cropping up everywhere and people kept emailing her to tell her about how it was used and misused. And I guess she wrote a revision. Um, The revision, it doesn't actually revise it that much. I don't think, I think she (laughs) added a couple of sentences about class, but basically it's the same thing. Um, So I found this conversation completely fascinating because I think it, it's like she totally appropriately diagnoses all of the bad and cynical ways this thing has been used. And you know, but also some like acknowledges some of the problems in our culture around like race discourse, but she still stands by like everything and right. actually doesn't have a new gloss on what, how to understand this document. So I I felt like we were just spinning in circles. I didn't quite understand like what she was trying to do, but clearly she is very aggrieved by the way that this has been used. No, oh, Yeah. Um, her full-throated defense of DEI culture and the DEI industry I found fascinating too because that clearly is why the initial, like that's responsible for the initial popularity of this document, maybe followed by the Fox News, you know, reliance on the document. But but somehow she still thinks like all of this stuff is mostly true. And I think a thing that it, the conversation really left me wondering is like, which I think you and I have talked about probably a nauseam but without like a really clear answer is like why are people so obsessed with using the term white supremacy right and what does it mean and like what is the anxiety that it's covering up because it clearly is not a really act it's not doing a lot of work in this document or in our lives
0: i know i you know i had this like i i feel i feel two ways about this stuff the first is that i feel the i think the left in general or progressives or even anyone left of center is a little bit too quick to cut bait once the right starts using a term derisively and you know kind of claims it right like it feels a little bit like the opposite of what happened when remember in the 90s when people would just like claim words like marginalized groups would be like i'm claiming that right, <laughs> right. <laughs> like me and my we're
1: disclaiming really fast now <laughs> right
0: or like my friends and i would I don't know, in college or whatever, after just call each other chink or whatever, yeah. like that type of thing, right? Um, And now it's like, okay, if the right points out some inconsistencies with this term we're going to use, we're just going to drop it, right? Like woke is obviously the number one thing. And, you know, I mm-hmm. think that there is so little defense around that term that what happened is truly awful, right? And that we now have this, like, st- stupid word (laughs) that's used to describe everything, right? Whereas before the political context of the word was actually quite interesting and in some ways Mm -hmm. inspiring and that just full capitulation, right? Now you can argue that there is nothing that could be done, right? But like, there are things you can do, right? Um, Like you can argue why, I don't know, you can, and people did, right? Now, white supremacy seems to be under that same uh, assault right now no it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that the right is going to start saying oh well that's white supremacy culture or something like that in the same way that they use woke right but yeah. i do think that it is being phased out of a lot of because racial it's discourse because it becomes so meaningless yeah yeah because i think that the critiques of it that you pointed out are true in some ways mm-hmm. right now um that's just my baseline objection where i don't want to be pushed into doing anything really and <laughs> so Sort of just being like no, fair enough, you know. yeah. right? But <laughs> on the but also it's like white supremacy it, versus white you.
1: supremacy culture. You know what right, I mean? It's right. like like we know there are white supremacists also. So the, it, it, there's all these like differentiation. Like the right wing definitely is not trying to like play with white supremacists because
0: right.
1: they know that a lot of them are white supremacists. Right. Right. But this right. is something else.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Now the thing that I found very interesting about the Tema Okun art, uh interview with Ryan was that like um she basically says every single example that she comes up with and it seems like her entire life is going to diversity yes. corporate trainings. And this is also For nonprofit. Of- or yeah. nonprofit, right? Five oh one C, whatever. Like that mm-hmm. world, right? Yeah. Um very exactly. similar to Robin D'Angelo, by the way. Right? Definitely. And I think that,
1: they're in the exact same world. Right, yeah.
0: right. And that you and I both know this world quite intimately, I think, right? Yes. Um, which is a nonprofit world of people who are sort of given consulting jobs. None of them are rich, right? Like I mean, I don't know. Like I imagine Tema Oaken is not rich. Robin D'Angelo might be rich at this point, but like <laughs> you know, like it's not like people are like buying. It's not like, it's not like Patrice, it's not like the Black Lives Matter, like buying like two extra houses type of thing. <laughs> right? like, like these are people who this are pretty, like, yeah, like pretty middle and class, middle, like
1: consultant right. level jobs.
0: And that within that group, there is a very pressurized type of language that needs to exist because that group is always feels like it is about to be phased out and they need to justify their existence in the most (laughs) intense ways possible, right? Like, this is true. Uh, That's that's the whole nonprofit world, right? There's a justification for why this needs to exist, right? Um, So like, do you really need to have a diversity training at all these different corporations? I don't know. Like, I don't think it necessarily is harmful to do it. I don't think it's I think that the way that some of them are done are probably harmful, but as an idea, right? Like, hey, we're a bunch of different people and we need to like, here are some methods on how to sort of learn to communicate. That idea in itself is not wrong, right? Right. But like something happened where that type of world, I think the same thing happened in a lot of education spaces too, which is that somehow something metastasized at some point where only the 10th percentile and up wildest types of takes could ever Pierce through, right? Any type of argument, any type of pragmatic pragmatic way of going about it was discarded. And then what took over was this type of language that is actually quite jargony. But in the end, all they're really talking about is inner office relationships and inner office Pretty much, power yeah. dynamics within a corporate space, right? Yes. And that is what Robin DiAngelo did. That's what Tema Oaken did. She even admits it, right? Um, in the interview, she says, well, that's just the result of my, Ryan asked her a question, she said, that's the result of my experience over the last however many 23 years since I wrote the first article. And I think these characteristics are characteristics of what I would call middle class, upper middle class, wealthy class whiteness. And again, not people whiteness. And because right. I've been in relationships with many more white people who are poor working class who have pointed out to me that the, many of these characteristics of white supremacy don't really apply to them or don't apply to their lived experience. I've come to understand that white supremacy, and this is a very nuanced idea, so I hope it's all right to share it, but white supremacy targets white people in some of the same ways that it targets people of color.
1: Shocking, (laughs) Tama. She
0: sounds
1: like Barbara Fields there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow.
0: (laughs) Not in the same ways, but in order to assimilate into the kind of whiteness that I'm describing in this document, working class people have to learn to change their language, to learn to assimilate into whiteness in a way that forces them to leave who they are behind I don't know what that means. You know, like, what does that mean? Like a truck and listening to country <laughs> music or something like that? <laughs> Pieces of... Uh, and I Kinda, think yeah. that's what think whiteness that's what does. Said. And so it certainly does it to people of color. It also does to working and poor people. So like, you know, here she is just admitting that like the tenets of white supremacy are just for but like... But she's so, so attached to the people.
1: word that she still has to use whiteness. Right, so at that right. point, what... I mean, so so she's, she admits in what you just read that basically she's talking about... I don't know, some sort of like elite corporate culture. Right. But yeah. but there's a difficulty talking about that. So is this just the classic American thing of we don't know how to talk about class, so we make everything about race? Yes. Or is there something else going on? I mean, it's because we're obsessed with it and we keep doing it.
0: Well, I think like from our perspective, right, like the way that we can think about it is this, which is that the way and um, I think that you and I both get somewhat at least like Raise an eyebrow when somebody says, "like Asians are white adjacent." Asians are white uh, adjacent, yeah. Or I am just like, listen, like you got to. I know what you are kind of saying, but you got to figure out a better way to describe this thing, you know. <laughs> and what they are saying is that some Asians, East Asians, assimilationist East Asians of a second generation who came over on H one B visas or whatever, grew up in suburbs and went to elite schools. Sometimes, you know, those people are bullshit, you know, and I am just. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but that takes too long to say jay i
0: know I know. but listen that's what they're saying right and they're bullshit <laughs> oh in the same God. way that like uh upper middle class meritocratic uh wealthy white people are bullshit and i'm like yeah. that's true you know it yeah. is true i know many situations and they're <laughs> fucking bullshit
1: <laughs> you should just go everywhere yeah. just Guess bullshit I know, people
0: i know a lot of people <laughs> Of all races who are who are in that same economic and educational bracket, they're all fucking and they're also bullshit the same way. (laughs) And so, like, I think it's like I do think it's like a terrible language thing that has happened. And I do think that like one thing that is, I I just don't know where we are with it because Mm -hmm. I actually do still think this is like the lingua franca. Is that the right term? This is like the this is like the the language of. This 501c space, right? Of this nonprofit space. It is still like this. Um, it is definitely the language of education people, right? Mm-hmm. And it is the language of people who do stuff like corporate diversity seminars. Now, mm-hmm. the last one I don't care about because I don't think that's a big deal. But education in the nonprofit space are kind of a big deal, right? And um, I just don't know. If it's ever going to get shocked out of it, because Tema Oaken has now been dragged through the mud <laughs> <laughs> <nationally>. <laughs> by everyone, you he's know? like
1: pleading on the podcast, like, please don't misuse my idea. <laughs> and I'm like, how about you just trash the idea if it doesn't work anymore, you know?
0: <laughs> right. right, right, right. Her revision, we'll put the revision in the show notes, but it is funny. You're right. It's like the it same really thing. It really
1: is not different.
0: She just adds like, to work class. Also,
1: she was saying, I mean, in the thing you read, she was basically like, Yeah, in the last ten years, I've run into working class white people who corrected me. And I was like, You didn't meet a working class white person until you were 60 years old.
0: I find that really like, hard to believe though, this given is so where she's so wild. From. She's like from like, hold on, I don't let understand. me look it up. But like, she's like definitely not like from the rich part. I mean, there are no real like rich people parts of North Carolina, you know. But like she is not from like um
1: <laughs> Well, I don't know. I mean, somehow in her trajectory, it happened that she wasn't running into this problem of this being interrogated by poor white people. And that is very strange to me, you know.
0: Oh yeah, I take it back. You know what? Maybe she is. My friends or not my friends. Guy knows. <laughs> the <mom>.
1: guys. Like, <laughs> I have to say though like so she's, I think like in addition to she this She is being, from
0: Chapel Hill. Oh my god. Hill. Yeah. I think in addition okay, to this Okay, so I take it back. That in, is like, the rich. That is a rich, you know, if there is a rich place to be from North Carolina. it's That yeah. Go ahead.
1: So, I think like in addition to this being used in like 501c3 spaces and the corporate sector, I have to say that I so recently I was sitting in on a worker training and something like this came up. And I was really, it was interesting because the the seminar was basically a training for workers to understand like the conditions of like capitalism, yeah. which is totally appropriate for like a union training. Like that makes a lot of sense. Um, it started off, it was a really multiracial group of workers, a lot of white people, black, Asian, Latino, like everyone. And It started off very unified, where they were dissecting capitalism and learning about different economic concepts. Mm -hmm. And then the trainer started talking about racial disparities. And they really lost the room. Like, you could just see it on people's faces. Like, it just kind of blew up i don't i'm not saying that this can never work or that racial disparities aren't real like of course they are but there was something about the vocabulary that they slipped into when they moved from that kind of universal economic analysis to this particularly like i don't know yeah sort of dei-ish like language that everyone went blank and it wasn't just the white people in the room who went blank like everyone it kind of broke whatever sort of like bonds in the air were starting to be formed. Yeah. And so so like seeing stuff like that in spaces where like that t- like that is a really important thing to be training union people to do better organizing and and this is like going against that, you know? And so I don't know. I'm that doesn't always have to happen, but I feel like I've seen it happen a lot. And it's it's really worrisome.
0: It's gotten to the point where it feels like a chore and that the evocation of it in any sort of way will feel like a chore, right? Now, I've been thinking mm-hmm. about this a lot too, just because there is definitely, not just in Florida, but in other places, there's, you know, like, I think that there's gonna be a real cutback of all this DEI stuff at every level, right? Now, most notably would be the universities because I think that's where the biggest infrastructure is, but corporate as well, right? Um, I think that you'll find that places that have, hired people to be sort of whatever, like, you know, outreach coordinator or whatever job mm-hmm. that is, like those jobs are gonna go pretty quickly. And I think that they'll go quickly because they were put in there because there was a lot of pressure to put them in there. Yeah. And that was the way the corporations responded to everything from Trayvon Martin all the way up to George Floyd, right? Mm-hmm. Which was to sort of add personnel and to say we're listening and to do all that. Now now that the pressure is not there to listen and because you know, everywhere everywhere is gonna cut costs here now in that because of macroeconomic factors. Like uh, I don't know, you look at some place like all the big tech companies, for example, around me, they're all they're all gonna lay off massive amounts of staff. Right? Yeah. for many reasons. But They've started mostly, already, right? Right, yeah. But yeah. like, you know, like Facebook was tanking. It seemed like it was dead. Yeah. And then Mark Zuckerberg laid off everybody and then the stock like right. shot back up, you know, and so then Everyone else is just like, oh, <laughs> you know. Oh and also say what you will. But like, I was talking to my friend about this which is like, say what you will about Elon Musk. Right. But like uh, he cut like 80 percent of Twitter's workforce and the site still works. I don't know. <laughs> you know? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not saying that he should do that or the no, site I works know. well, yeah. but it runs, you know, and the <laughs> signal that that sends to everyone else in, in the valley is like what Mark Andreessen always talks about, which is like there's like we should cut. We should just bloat. Cut, yeah we should just cut everything i'm not saying that's good i'm just saying that's, that's how these people think right
1: <laughs> jay's like a McKinsey consultant <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like,
0: twitter works fine for me you yeah, know, and exactly. look at facebook stock there's prices. only two people
1: there but everything's fine <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> <laughs> i'm not even on twitter anymore so I don't know yeah
0: yeah that. um but the um but You know, it breaks occasionally, but whatever, right? So (laughs) that's their mindset, right? Like, they're going to sort of get to that. All this stuff, the first thing they're going to cut is this DI stuff, right? Especially here in Silicon Valley, where it is reviled. Mm -hmm. Um, And what that means is that the people who are cut from these jobs are going to be disproportionately people of color. Totally. Um, And that at some point that is going to become a that data is going to become public or become available. And that um, you know, there's gonna be sort of a argument about that or there's gonna be some sort of thing about it. And the way that it'll be smashed down is just like, oh, well, that's wokeness, you know, like uh it's like if there was a black woman engineer, then we wouldn't have fired you like that type of thing, right? Like this stuff is not necessary. Yeah. All of it is a grift anyway, and that'll be the argument right. that has been made. And at that point, it seems like it would be very useful to have somebody within the workplace who could, you know, facilitate some sort of helpful conversation about yeah, you these think? things so that the few people who are there who are not just like white Adderall addicts, yeah. right, don't feel like the place is hostile and awful, you know. And so, I don't know. I guess I just feel two ways about this, which is yeah. the first is that, look, I, that. I have – basically made three years now of objections to this diversity <laughs> echoing and, and inclusion type of complex right 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 but at the same time i just think that like there is it's i'm almost like a reformist about it mm-hmm. you know where yeah like i just think no, that, I that like there's it's like just,
1: you won't miss it till it's gone type thing you know
0: right right and like i just remember like oh so i you know you work in these places right and that um I've worked in a lot of places in media and sometimes I get very frustrated about things because I feel like I'm being treated poorly because of like my racial background, right? It has happened a couple of times. Mm-hmm. I don't think any of them are huge deals, right? And I don't think any of them were to the point of any type of action, but it is something where you get annoyed and what you want to do is you want to go to lunch with somebody you want to just like fuck these people, right? And then that's what you do, right? Like That's <laughs> a coping method of thousands and thousands of people in America. <laughs> Now, um, had some of these situations, some of these situations did actually get to the point where I quit over them, for example, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, like, it's not like having somebody there who can like make it so that it's not that nuclear option, it's important, you know, and that that person... Whatever that person's role is, I'm not talking about my per- current job, by the way, I'm talking about a whole other <laughs> thing that people, <laughs> to don't be even, clear,
1: yeah, people don't
0: even know I worked at this place, right? But like, yeah, uh, yeah. for that to be a, uh, for that conversation to not get to that nuclear yeah, space, for somebody you. who is not like me, who almost relishes quitting jobs, right? Somebody mm-hmm. who actually was like, oh, I would like to stay here. Whoever that person is going to be, whatever title you give them is basically going to be what a DEI officer does now, you know? Yeah. And like, you know, I just think there's like a kind of hard edge to some of this stuff. Right. that makes me uncomfortable, even though I, I have spent three years trashing the DEI. I yeah,
1: yeah. I OK. So the one the thing when Tema Oaken still defends DEI workshops and all this stuff after, you know, understanding it's like acknowledging the criticisms. The one thing I was thinking about, which ties into what you just said, is I think, though, there's a difference between like the kind of DEI like therapized DEI right. stuff that we're seeing right now and trainings on like law and discrimination and things because I like I I've been reporting a little bit on um, some of these state bills we're seeing that basically ban all kinds of diversity training and if those were only getting rid of these like really cheesy, bad DEI trainings, I don't think I would really care. But I think what those encroach on are trainings where managers actually have to learn about the EEOC, anti-discrimination right. law, how not to sexually harass people. And that's like really, really dangerous. So I I do think there's like a difference and there's a spectrum of these things.
0: Right, right. That's right. The baby out with the bathwater, whatever mm-hmm. the thing is, right, that that. um. Saying, and then when you look, I try not to do this because I don't like it when people do it, but then when you look at the ways in which, like, if you take it out of this vacuum where you're, in like, sort of trying to interrogate it by itself and you yeah. see what's happening, and you're like, oh, well, it is being, people's annoyance with DEI is being used to, you know, ban books by black authors and kids libraries and stuff like that right like i mean it is right Mm -hmm. and that all of this is part and parcel by itself that doesn't mean that you have to have a full-throated uh like defense for the uh sort of way in which uh an upper middle class type of corporate like interpersonal inner office dei (laughs) became so hegemonic that it became Mm -hmm. the only way that people within our industry were willing to talk about race and that therefore it like seemed like the only way that anybody was willing to talk about race You don't really have to defend that idea. Yeah. But you kind of have to defend... (laughs) You
1: kind of have to defend... it.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Like, it's horrible. Like, you know, like... I've met a lot of DEI officers now, um, you know? And I've never met one that I thought was not, like, actually, like, a good person that was committed to making those spaces less less racist, you know? And so I I feel very conflicted about it, right? Yeah. Um, And I have met a lot of people who are very anti-DEI who maybe want to jump off a fucking like uh building rather than talk to them another second you know because like they're <laughs> the worst people in the fucking world so I don't know I feel that way <laughs> I'm sure you feel the same oh, way man.
1: right I yeah and I I think like a big thing that was missing in this conversation too is well, Ryan actually brings it up one time about how DEI stuff sometimes gets used against like unions right. and other forms of like actual organization. And Tema Oken you know, she does this whole classic DEI officer thing where it's like, you know, you can use this information to later do, to like act together, but there's no like actual script for that. Right. It still stays in the lane of like personal grievance. And I don't think she has, she doesn't really like have a translation for the concept. So that, that is like, to me, like the ultimate failure of this thing.
0: Yeah. There's no, there's no call to action in any Mm -hmm. of it. It is really still all kind of like, well, what happens if this person says this to you, you know, and, um, who should you call? And here is like, uh, here's basically the cops right now. Um, that doesn't (laughs) mean that, Yeah, I don't know. I, I just think that like, uh, I don't know, maybe maybe we shouldn't be doing things this way, you know, but like I generally still 10% of me is like, if everyone bad is against something, then I can't <laughs> <laughs> 90% of me is just like, well, whatever, I'll come to my own conclusions, you know, but 10% of me kind of still <laughs> <lies> it. Just...
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sometimes you
0: kind of have to step I back know. and you have to I look know. at the others, the people and you just be like, No. <laughs> <laughs> look who's over there i know yeah. it's basically like yeah, modern yeah. politics where just like listen a lot of these ideas and on the democrat <laughs> side are very bad you know and they're definitely in favor of like a corporate type of like expansionism they're definitely bought out by like a type of neoliberalism or whatever right like all this sort of stuff we we're talking about 2016 all true, you know. And then you take one more step back, and you're like, okay, who's on my side? You know, and you're like, well, there's three great leftist professors that I really respect, and then there's all these dudes.
1: I know. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah, yeah. you're like, oh. you don't want to end up with those guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
0: but now look, would I? What side would I stand? I'd probably still stand on the same side, but you know, I would feel bad about that. you know i just wouldn't talk to my neighbors i guess but like um i don't know it's it's an interesting thing i'm glad that temma yeah. is back out in the she is from carborough like you know i don't know if you were from chapel maybe California, you should interview you her know i mean what the... it
1: was kind of an interesting i'm really glad that we listened to this i don't know i'm fascinated by this whole thing
0: i know it's it really is i don't know speaking of which i have to do my condé nass diversity training <laughs> 'Cause like <laughs> they thankfully turn off all your email when you go on paternity leave, but then when you t- come back it's like this flood.
1: <laughs> oh, but do you have to do the training you already did?
0: I haven't done it yet. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. So I gotta do the whole oh, thing. Oh, I'm yeah. curious. What you, you know heard? the one thing I think they should stop making people do though is uh I think they should stop making people uh, write diversity letters.
1: Diversity letters? What's yeah. that?
0: So in the University of California system, for example, if you oh, want to do anything okay. You have to write a diversity letter. You mean Uh, for
1: academic applications, right?
0: Yeah, or anything really. But, like, no, the idea, I think, behind it, and this is what I've been told, so I don't know if it's true. And if it's not true, University of California, please don't, you know, don't get too mad about this. But um, you have to write a letter that explains how you will add to diversity on campus. And so I applied for a job at the journalism school at the University of California at, at Cal, right? And, um, I didn't get the job, but I was asked to write a diversity letter, and I basically just wrote like two sentences where like "I am not white, and I will come to campus. That is how I will <laughs> increase diversity at, at school, right um The reason why they're doing this is <laughs> so that the colleges because they can't use affirmative action, yeah, that's what I thought it right was, like yeah. it's a way to signal that you're a minority you right. know or that you're that you're not white. But it does feel like you have to sign a pledge to be indoctrinated to like agree that diversity and said all this stuff is really important, you know. They should probably stop doing. (laughs) I
1: wonder what you wrote.
0: (laughs) I did. I just wrote like I'm not white, and I'll just show up. (laughs) (laughs) Your journalism school does not have that many Asian people in its faculty you know
1: (laughs) oh my god
0: (laughs) i'll just come you know like i don't know because i was offended that i had to do it right like it's just like like why why are you asking me to do this thing i don't i like like do i think having a diverse faculty at a journalism school is important yeah for sure you know but like why do i have to explain how i'm gonna add to that right like i'm not white (laughs)
1: you could have maybe you I'm your have diversity about your contrarian viewpoints
0: you guys are like you guys are a journalism school in a UC you know you have a lot of Asian kids I bet who are at the school right <laughs> some of them are going to grapple with how to write about their identity it's good to have me on board you know like I've done that <laughs> like this shouldn't be that hard why do I have to explain this to you <laughs> Anyway, I didn't get the job. Anyway,
1: (laughs) I wonder why.
0: (laughs) Well, I don't know. I was like, I was like, was it because I didn't take the diversity? And then I was like mad about it. But then
1: you're mad, yeah, because I was gonna. Maybe I'm just not qualified. Even more mad about it. I don't know. (laughs) I mean, I feel
0: somewhat qualified. You know, where I'm just like, I don't know, like. I'm probably qualified at There's some. There's
1: probably level. a million reasons that have nothing yeah. to do with the diversity statement, but it's pretty funny to imagine. It's because your diversity statement. Listen, sucked. that's where
0: my mind went first, <laughs> yeah. right? That's how they got me. Exactly. I've been brain poisoned. It's just like, oh, it's
1: the wokes. Exactly.
0: <laughs> oh shit. Oh man, I'm gonna have to go to. I'm gonna have to do some self-examination about that. I went straight <laughs> I to say. blaming the wokes about for this <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well <laughs> yeah. Oh man.
0: Yeah. I didn't even get an interview. Classic anyway, JB It was uh it was uh I, I gotta I gotta I gotta deconstruct some of that. I'm gonna oh read I'm gonna I'm gonna read uh look inside gonna, yourself. I will maybe I'll call Tema Okin. I'll be like, are you Joey Oaken's mom? And secondly, I've had this very racist response where I blame the wokes oh for God. not getting a job, and I'd like to talk to you about how to deconstruct <laughs> that in my own mind. Okay, that's enough. Um Tammy, is there anything else you want to plug or talk about on the show? <laughs> no. It's wonderful. Your apartment is really coming together. It looks very nice. <laughs> thank you. Um, I really like that asymmetric lamp that you have back there. Thank you. Um, all right. Well, thank you for listening to the show. We do this every single week. Yes, if you'd like to support the show, it's $5 a month, and you can sign up either at goodbye.substack.com or Patreon.com slash TTSG pod. You can email the show at time to say goodbye pod at gmail.com, or you can just find us on Twitter at TTSG pod. Um, let's see. An announcement, Jay. What's the announcement?
1: Movie night.
0: <gasps> movie night. We'll be watching better luck tomorrow. Thank you for everyone in our discord who suggested Woo! a movie and voted Friday, March 10th, 8 p.m. and 5 p.m. Pacific. This is a thing where we use one of Discord's functions, and we all watch the movie together, and we talk about it. Yeah, it's gonna be great. Um, and some of our listeners are they might be doing in organizing in-person viewings in different places. One thing that I think people who are listening to the show now uh, don't know is that our community of listeners hang out with each other a lot. Something I'm still getting (laughs) used to. It's a little, you know, I love it a lot, but abstractly, it's strange (laughs) to me. It's like we look at his podcast. You
1: gotta, you gotta taste of it in December.
0: Oh yeah, no, I love all the that people. So intense, I really do. Right? And when I meet them, like honestly, like they're people I would hang out with anyway. Yeah. you know. But I still, it's still a little bit strange. So it they're gonna weird, get, right? they're gonna get together, and they're gonna watch this movie. Better luck like tomorrow. For those who don't know, is. Uh, I don't know what is it. It's like Asian. Cl- it's, it's like intense the- Asian clueless or something like that. Or the-
1: <laughs> that's hilarious. But but with crimes.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to think. It's like what is like. I don't know. It's great. I love it's that free. movie. It's such a classic. I've watched, I've watched it like five times. Every time it's good. I know? think it's
1: a perfect one to start this movie club. Right,
0: right. And there's a lot of things to talk about in terms of like Asian masculinity <laughs> and uh, the, the model minority. The model
1: minority. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, could this movie be made in 2023? You know, or like, <laughs> I don't know. It's interesting. <laughs> They're like, the, it's like, I would say that of all the movies that have been made about Asian Americans, right? That it is the most authentically of a type of Asian American that you find in California.
1: Yes. Right?
0: Like, it's like very, very much them. And now it's like a lot of Asian American representation in film is like not them. You know, it's like people who, I don't it's know. Like, I'm not going to say anything about it, but.
1: You know. <laughs> I was going to say it's like NYU art students or
0: Yeah. Yeah, which is fine, you know. But I kind of like this throwback type of feel. All right. Yeah. Until next week, we will talk. All
1: right. Bye. Bye. bye.